0: someone who's entered the kingdom of heaven. It's a work of grace spoken of by Ezekiel that he saw years before, hundreds of years before. Here's what he said. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. So this is the beginning, the entrance into the way to be perfect. There's no other way to get there but through here. It's a work of grace. And it comes to the preaching of the gospel. Now, I remember, I guess it was probably about three decades ago, my wife was working in, a, in a, with, the, with the children, you know, like four and five years old. And it was this rambunctious little girl. She was probably about four or five, right? And, and 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 you know, she was, she's, she couldn't control herself. And so one of the one of the teachers had to had to take her aside and, you know, chastise her a little bit. And she said, I know I'm supposed to be good, but it's so hard. You see, this little girl knew more about the condition of her heart than most adults do. You can't change your heart. None of us can change our heart. It's too hard. Only God can take the hardest stone and give you a new heart. And he does it through the foolishness of preaching the gospel, just as I am doing today. Do you see this change in you as we read through the Beatitudes? If not... The message that Jesus proclaimed is the one that I'm proclaiming. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now you notice, when they get to the final beatitude, you take a step into a new reality. Listen to what he says here. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. See, they are in the kingdom of heaven, yet they're still in this fallen world. You might be wondering, why didn't he just take them up, take them up into glory like he did Enoch and Elijah? That would sure be a more glorious way to go, wouldn't it? But at this juncture in the journey, it's important to remember their destination. You shall be perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. That's where they're headed. Now, this is the part of the journey where it starts to get personal. Did you notice the change when he went from verse, when he went from the first, blessed in verse 10, to verse 11? The change from these, those, to you. Those who are persecuted for righteousness sake to you who are persecuted for righteousness sake. You see, it's through the trials your personal relationship with Jesus Christ begins to grow. How does it grow? Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. You hear his voice in the preaching of his word from the scriptures. You seek him in prayer. You obey him. And you know what? You start to look more and more like him, in this world. That's when the persecution comes. He told his disciples, remember the word that I say to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So why did they persecute Jesus? Well, the one thing about sinners is sinners love sin. It's in their nature to seek pleasure in sin. But to enjoy sin, they have to do something. They have to sear their conscience. They have to suppress the revelation of God's righteousness to silence the conviction of sin. That's the way it works. Read Romans 1. He'll tell you all about it in detail. Jesus told them this he said if I had not done among you the works which no one else did they would have no sin but now they have seen and also hated both me and my father the words of Christ shine the light of his righteousness on their the works of Christ shine the light of His righteousness on their sin. And they hated him for it. The work of Christ in you will do the same thing. He says this, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Well, where does that light come from? It's a reflection of Christ in you. So you're on the right path when you're persecuted for Christ's sake. This is the way Jesus leads us to be perfect. It was, a, it, was a, it was the way the prophets took, and it's the way that Peter maps out for us to take also. Listen to what Peter says. In this, this is 1 Peter 1, 6-9. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a while if need be you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. As an image of Christ, you will be persecuted in the world if you're walking with him closely. However, God did not leave you in this world to condemn it. You are here to reflect the one who saved you from his condemnation. Jesus said this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Therefore, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. (coughs) So, Went, I, just, I just went to a, a uh, church history class for a year or so over at over our church. And church history is very, 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 very interesting. Um, let me give you a quote of a guy named Jan Hus from 1414. I got this from Fox's Book of Martyrs. See, he walked through the path of persecution at the Council of Constance. He was literally tested by fire, as Peter says. After he was charged with heresy for calling the Roman Catholic Church to repentance, here's what he said. With what countenance then should I behold the heavens? With what face should I look upon them whom I have taught whereof there is a great number? If through me it should come to pass that those things which they have come to know and to be most certain and sure should now be made uncertain. Should I by this example astonish or trouble so many souls, so many consciences, endued with the most firm and certain knowledge of the scriptures and gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and his most pure doctrine armed against the assaults of Satan, I will never do it, neither commit any such kind of offense, that I should see more to esteem this vile carcass appointed unto death than their health and salvation. Jan Hus was then led outside and burned at the stake. You don't have to look for persecution. It will find you when you follow Jesus Christ. It may not be the same type or the degree as Mr. Huss had, but you will be hated for Jesus' name's sake. This is the path that Jesus leads you through to be perfect. So put heaven in your heart and keep it in sight when persecution comes upon you. For your heavenly Father is there waiting for you with your inter- eternal herit- inheritance. Just as Jesus said, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. So now as we continue along the way, through the persecution, he brings us up to the law. And he begins to use the law to instruct us. But before he goes through the law, he gives us a warning. Here's what he says. Do not think that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Therefore, whoever breaks one of these least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does this and teaches men so shall be called the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus' warning is similar to the one from your father in the book of Proverbs. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is a way of death. Antinomianism is one such way. Antinomian, it it literally means anti, against, namus law, against law. So the antinomian path does not follow the teaching of Jesus and the law. It travels around the law altogether. It takes a different path to be perfect. On our way to church today, I noticed that the heaven and the earth are still there. Did you guys see it? It's still there, isn't it? Have you ever looked into heaven to get a glimpse of what it would look like? You see people from all nations who love God and worship Him? These same people love their neighbors, but they do not worship them. Why not? I sure hope you thought because it's wrong. Well, how do you know It's wrong. God has given you the moral law to direct you and guide you so that you know what is right and what is wrong. Through it, he teaches you what pleases him and what displeases him. This is the path that the antinomianisms avoid. Now, let me caution you that the entrance into the way of antinomianism is deceptive. It appears to be the gospel of grace. But it does not end at the same place. Listen to what Jesus says at the end of his sermon in chapter 5. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me you who practice lawlessness. No law. That's what that word means, literally. No law. So there's also a, a way that you need to be aware of that's on the opposite side of the antinomianism way. It's called the way of legalism. It leads to the same path as antinomianism. Jesus refers to it when he says this, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So the way of legalism is broad, being the oldest and the most traveled way. Every son and daughter of Adam is inclined to take it. I refer to it as the fig-leaf righteousness path. You remember what happened after Adam and Eve sinned, right? After they disobeyed God, their consciences bothered them, so they tried to cover their sin and shame with fig leaves. This external righteousness, however, was exposed in the presence of God. When they heard him walking in the garden, what'd they do? They hid. So the Jews went down the same path using the law as a fig leaf. They took something good given by God for their benefit and misused it to cover their sins with a fig leaf-like righteousness. But their external righteousness was exposed by Jesus. Listen to what he told them. You are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and... Lawlessness. So antinomianism and legalism are really the way of one seductress wearing different dresses. Both look good. They look perfect. Both have a bad end. Lawlessness. The difference is the dress. One is loose, the other is so after the warning, Jesus uses the law to correct this misinterpretation and its misuse. He says this, and you'll read this through as he goes through six different commandments. You have heard that it was said of old, but I say to you, the Jews had used the law to be perfect, but it was all external. For them the perf- to be perfect was like the tree in the Garden of Eden. Its fruit was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. And like Eve, the Jews became so enamored with obtaining its fruit, they never considered the root. It was hidden from their view, buried in the dust of the earth. They used the laws as a kind of way <laughs> we use a Christmas tree. We hang fake fruit on a dead tree. It looks nice and pretty. Like the real deal. But there's no life in it. Jesus, on the other hand, look how he uses the law. He goes right to the root, not the fruit. The fruit will follow. You have heard that it was said of those, those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that whoever looks on a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The Jews had misinterpreted the law's revelation of the depth of man's sin. Jesus uses the law to show us that sin affected the whole man, including our nature, our heart, and our actions. He then awakens us to its final end, sin's final end. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for one of you. For you that one of your members perished than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Jesus instructs us with the law to show us the seriousness of sin and what our sins deserve. He uses it to arouse us from our slothfulness, humble our pride, and hate our sin. He does this not to condemn us, but so that we would look to him to put to death the remnants of sin that remain in us and seek His sanctifying grace in His Holy Spirit, not relying upon our own strength or the strength of another man, but upon Him alone. But Jesus' ultimate objective in all His teaching and using the law is for you and I to come and know the love of God. That's the end point. So that we would be like Him And his son, Jesus Christ. He says this, towards the end, 543-45. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you, and do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. And sins reign on the just and on the unjust. The Jews were the chosen people of God and the Gentiles were not. So they restricted the definition of neighbor to themselves. You can see this in the parable of the Good Samaritan that Jesus tells them. But Jesus corrects this misinterpretation. It is true that God commanded the Israelites to exterminate the Canaanites. But even through the execution of his justice, the sun continued to rise and the rain was sent on the unjust. His hand was stretched out still, but they refused to reach for it. You can see, you can read the Sermon on the Mount like the Jews read the law. If you love your enemies, then you will be the sons of your Father. But that's not what he said. He said, love your enemies that you may be sons of the sons of your Father in heaven. In other words, be like your Father. The law reveals that man is a sinner and as a sinner, he's an enemy of God. But it also revealed that God is merciful, gracious, long-suffering, <coughs> abounding in goodness and truth. That's in Exodus 36, 4. Those who have followed Jesus up to this point have already come to this realization. We saw this in the Beatitudes. It says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. See, with repentance, there's an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. The repentants are the recipients of mercy from God in Christ. The evidence that you have received this mercy is that you are merciful to your neighbor. (laughs) even your enemies love is the fruit of the spirit it comes from god and it is manifested through us god pours out his love upon you by grace you receive his love in christ through faith you turn from your own way to follow christ in love and then your love you love your neighbor just like you have been loved by your father You love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you, and persecute you. Now we come to our text. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus has led us all along the path in our mourning, past the persecution, through the deceit guiding us with his law, and now we come to the end of the path. Or have we? Some, after they enter the kingdom of heaven, take but a few steps. And they are immediately taken up, just like Enoch and Elijah. Into glory. They shall be perfect. Others must follow Jesus through a long and difficult path. And all along the way you will see many who, like in the days of Noah, are eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Some are just getting by. Others are living it up. And then when the way gets hard and you're growing weary, you hear this seductive voice coming from the garden saying, Why are you killing yourself? Eat, drink, be married. This is where the words of Jesus have reached their destination. You hear them in your heart. You shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So you trust him and you continue on. Not for your own sake, but for Christ's sake. And for the sake of those who are not yet perfect. I think the Apostle Paul sums it up well here. I'll finish with this. Not that I have already attained or am already perfect, perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. So, let us all press on and don't be discouraged. Walk with him, he'll walk with you. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Let us pray. Father, we're so grateful for your mercy which you've given us and we're so grateful that Christ walks with us through all of the trials, through the pain, through the suffering, and how He cares for us. Not telling us the things we want to hear, but the things we need to hear. So we do pray, Father, uh, that his, Your Word would work deep into our hearts, that uh, so we would examine ourselves and see, is Christ in me? And if so, Father, that You would work in us to walk with Him so that all might see and you would be glorified in it. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right.